0: to Bree and Friends guys. A podcast about nothing and everything. I'm your host Bree Simmons. Today guys, I decided to have a little wild card episode. That's what that soundbite means, wild card. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, it took me about an hour to set up today because I was just perusing through a bunch of different samples and clips on here to find little things to put on a soundboard to play whenever I feel like it because I'm just in that kind of mood. So that's one of them. Wild card. (laughs) Um, So the premise of this is I'm going to literally just pick some topics that I wrote down uh that I had Dante write down to. Thanks Dante. Um and I also asked on Facebook and Instagram um for folks to comment on different topics or random things they want me to talk about. And I got two whole comments. <laughs> um and I mean, if I pick them, I'll tell you what they are, but I mean, they're pretty good. One of which I don't, I think I know maybe one or two things about the other is more of an opinion thing. So I hope I get it. I hope I pick those two. So thanks to those two who commented, um, Jason and Sarah, you guys are the real MVPs. Um, yeah, so let's jump on in, guys. I'm going to reach into my shoebox of fun. Can you hear the topics? wrestling around. Um, but I hope you guys also, while I'm picking, um, had a good week and good weekend. And I guess a good week overall. I haven't talked to you guys in a while over the uh internets. Um, so I hope you're all doing well. I did want to uh say something very quickly. Um a former bandmate of mine uh, passed away actually this past Thursday I'm from back home in Chicago. When I was part of the band Oblio and Arrow, I actually met um, this man, Brian Whitebread, um, while I was in Oblio. And we weren't super, super close. But whenever I spoke with him or saw him, we always had the weirdest best conversations (laughs) like he would ask me or tell me about things that I had just never had to conversate about before and it was always just interesting never a dull moment with him and he was also just so sweet and caring and I mean an amazing musician really great guitarist um was just so natural with it like it just Seemed like it was just an extension of him. He just picks stuff up like nothing. And he's also a really great songwriter. I got a chance to hear some of his music, I think, I don't know how many years ago now, two or three. I just remember I was back home and we were all chilling and he played some of his stuff. And it was really great. And I, I don't know. He's just he's just a really great guy. And I'm still sort of, I don't know. Not so much disbelief, I guess so a little bit, but I mean, when I heard about it, I, I I don't know, it just really took me out of the rest of the day. Like I, I just really feel for his family, his friends, his loved ones, just any and everyone who was near and close to him. Um, my oblio fam, I hope they're all doing it doing well and taking it the best that they can. Same with his family. Um, so yeah rest in peace to him and um, let's get into the first topic that I picked which happens to be discovery of exoplanets now I don't know a heck of a heap about this and this is one that Dante probably wrote <laughs> he would be a better source for this um, space terrifies me and fascinates me at the same time. Like there, right now, I just visualized it and it freaked me out. Right now, I am sitting in my room on planet Earth. Well, in my room in America, which is in, uh, I guess North America, huh? Because Cans part of that too. In North America, which is on Earth, which is the my very energetic third planet from the sun (laughs) and there's just a whole mess of things outside of this planet circling around us anything goes wrong up there we're done it's over like that does that not terrify you people and I know this isn't about flat earthers that wasn't the topic but you know no I'm not gonna get into it and exoplan- the fact that there are exoplanets, like the fact that there's something else besides these nine. Where is it? Eight now, because Pluto. Pluto goes back and forth. This Pluto a planet again yet? I don't know. I'm going to go with nine. That's what I grew up knowing. Um, besides these nine planets, there's a whole mess around. Not a mess, but just space. Darkness and big old balls of gas that look so pretty from far away to us, (laughs) like twinkle twinkle little star. How about that little star gets any closer, you're 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 fucking dead. It's over. That's what they should change it to. Not twinkle twinkle little star. How I wonder what you are. What's the rest up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky, an exploding diamond. An exploding, poisonous, deadly diamond in the sky is what that star is. I mean, something happens to the sun. We're all just, I mean, bye. It's been real, y'all. I, this isn't about exoplanets, but going back, again, the fact that there are other planets out there in other solar systems besides our own, like, there's hundreds of them, probably more than hundreds let me try to look it up real quick like this if you don't know an exoplanet is a planet that orbits another star that's not ours in our solar system so any other planet that's not orbiting the sun um and it's really cool that we have this technology where we can find these things now though like it's cool and then also again, terrifying because who knows what is out there. And I think it's ignorant of us to think that there's just absolutely nothing besides this. Like we're not the end all be all of life. Okay, let's just get that straight. Um, But yeah, I'm looking at NASA's page right now and it shows a graphic. If you wanna go, just look up exoplanets on NASA's website. And there's this really cool graphic where the sun, who (laughs) we, the sun is this like little dot. And. Like in the Milky Way galaxy, it's just this little dot somewhere, you know, well, from where this is near the bottom, bottom right. And the galaxy is just miles and miles and miles. Or is it light years? of just stars and asteroids and other planets and there's a like swirly area that they've uh, colored white and that indicates the area where the majority of the exoplanets have been found with this telescope they're seeing this that's amazing i i love science science also terrifies me but amazes me and i mean you can't fight science like you can i know there's some conspiracy theory folks out there saying that these pictures are doctored and all that and i mean it's not impossible but also it's not <laughs> so <laughs> you would be able to tell like this is real this is happening this is happening around us wake up um let's see they found in a trial run um that there could be a small planet orbiting a star that's about 540 light years away. And that was in 2011. So I'm sure they found way more since then. My goodness, exoplanets. And Jupiter has suns, (laughs) you know? And, ooh, Jupiter's like a huge ass gas giant where you can fit i don't know how many earths into it like we should all be afraid like i just the universe can turn on us in any minute maybe i'm one of those conspiracy theorists (laughs) i'm like the end is near (laughs) you never know man one thing goes wrong up there and it's over we just need to be a bit more humble down here on earth like we all high and mighty how do we know there's not somebody Or a whole group of people on one of these exoplanets studying us the same way we're trying to study Earth. Or maybe they have the way we're trying to study these exoplanets. Or, now guys, stay with me on this one. This might go a bit too deep. So you know the game The Sims? (laughs) What if, guys, stay with me again. What if these exoplanets... People from these or whatever they are, these beings from these exoplanets are just playing us like we're a Sims game, like we're just a giant Sims game, you know, or I guess you could say God if you believe in or any God you believe in or higher being is just playing us like a Sims game. Hmm. Anyway, (laughs) next topic. All right, so we've got nasa spinoffs and nasa spinoffs i think are the products that haven't been made uh, for commercial use um from nasa i guess that was discovered there or made there something like that and memory foam is one of them um cordless power tools that i did not know and here's a list of other ones that i had no okay so digital image sensors Ooh. Um, yeah, I didn't know they came up with that. Like GoPros, I guess that makes sense. You know, a GoPro coming from NASA. Hmm. Um, but yeah, if you got a GoPro or a DSLR camera or a cell phone, you've got some NASA technology. Look at us, us normal people with NASA technology. Um, winglets. I did not know that. Um, those are the like upturned tips of the wings on the plane. You know, where you get to see the logo and all that junk. Thanks, NASA. Um, More aerodynamic, you know. Oh, precision GPS. That I think I knew, but maybe forgot about. But that makes sense, too, that they came up with GPS. Because, you know, space, you got to find them. Ooh, this I didn't know, enriched baby formula. Maybe they came up with that while they were trying to find something for those astronauts to eat up there. You know. Oh, they were. Okay, see, I should just read the caption. It says, while developing life support systems for Mars missions, NASA-funded researchers discovered a natural source for an omega-3 fatty acid that is now incorporated into more than 90% of baby formulas on the market. So next time you're feeding your baby some Similac, thank you, NASA. I don't know if it's in Similac. I don't really know any other baby formula brands. All my friends have babies. Not all of them. A good portion have babies now. Maybe you guys can chime in. <laughs> um, memory foam, I already said. Uh, but they the way they came up with it, apparently... Uh, They were looking for ways to keep test pilots cushioned during flights. Now, that's a comfy ride up into the moon. on some memory foam. Yes. Oh, the International Search and Rescue System. Thanks, NASA, for that. Saving lives. Uh, They made trucks more aerodynamic, so you don't get those big boxy looking ones. Um, Shock absorbers for buildings and bridges. NASA's really... Saving the world. Advanced water filtration. Ooh, your Brita times 10. Oh, invisible braces. Let me tell you something. I know I have a lot of friends who had braces and they hate each and every time I say this. But as a child, I envied my friends with braces because they had those really cool colors like, I had one friend who always changed the color. I won't name her. I don't know if she's embarrassed about her braces, so I'll leave it be. If she's listening, she knows who she is. It was from, like, third grade, maybe into middle school. She almost said her name right now. <laughs> she, she always had the flyest braces to me. Like, every time she came back with the after she got them um, tightened, I think, which I hear was just torturous. But I'm like, girl. You got those really cool neon pink braces. She also had green one time. She went for black for Halloween, you know, mixing it up. The rubber bands were also really cool colors. Like, I know it had to be horrible to deal with, but I thought they were a fashion statement. And I'm like, I would look cute as hell with some braces. I already had chubby cheeks, so I'm like, this would just up it. Like, I'll look so cute. Please, I want braces. I didn't, And I know this sounds like... <laughs> Bad. But I didn't need them, but I wanted them so bad. But then everyone started getting fancy with those Invisalign braces. So thanks, NASA, <laughs> for ridding children across the nation of pain and suffering from those horrendous orthodontist appointments. Um, Let's see what else. Can we find that? voltage controller now what's that now a nasa patent and voltage controller has been implemented in all sorts of load-bearing electrical mechanics providing only the power needed to carry the weight on board so escalators things of that sort wowee who knew and cloud-free views of earth what oh they're talking about like if you use google earth And, you know, you can thank NASA for the cloud-free views, you know, because they probably just took a ton of pictures over time. Like technology these days, you can go on Google Earth and just have yourself a mini vacation in your home. Like my sister visits uh, Malta a lot (laughs) through Google Earth. It's beautiful there, guys. So, I mean, if you're balling on a budget can't make it out of the country just sit down in front of your uh laptop or hook it up to your tv with the hdmi cord lay back with a beverage and enjoy italy or something (laughs) um oh wow they also came up with a cardiac pump and uh that's when uh you know you get a heart transplant um this pump, I guess, stimulates the fluid flowing through your heart, you know, or well, the blood flowing through your heart. But they used it um, to stimulate uh, for simulating fluid flow through rocket engines. Wow! 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 I did not know this existed till right now, but I want it. There's an anti-gravity treadmill. Where is it? i have never heard of this apparently it was out in 2005 what and um i guess people use it um you know all around they said professional folks um and collegiate athletes and people who are learning to walk again after an injury or surgery and people suffering from other stresses of the joints i need to get into one of these my goodness NASA spinoff. Thank you, NASA, for these beautiful advancements in technology. It's amazing what the human mind can think to do. And when I hear about this stuff from NASA or just anything science related, I'm like, you know, we should really be putting this more out in the forefront. You know, we get bombarded with so much. Stupid information that we don't really need, especially on celebrities. And I am going to be first to admit that I'm a sucker for it. We all know I love my celebrity gossip, but I just wish like scientific journals and all that were just as popular, you know? Like, I want to hear about all this stuff too. Like, it's when we use it correctly. We can do some amazing things. And I just think we should put more of our energy towards that than some of the stupid shit we're doing. But you know, it's not my call to make. I'm not president or anything. We're going to leave him out of this, though. This is a nice, just a safe place. Alrighty, this next one. Underrated films. This was one of the comments from Sarah. My Sarah boo. Um, so I made a short list because I'm pretty. I like a lot of films that a lot of other people don't like, but I don't know if they're like generally, generally, sorry, underrated or just I think they are. But I made a list. Okay, so, um, this is in no particular order, but the movie Baby Boss. I will admit, I didn't want to see it when I saw the trailer. Like, the trailer doesn't do it justice. The trailer makes it look really stupid, in my opinion. I did. I had no interest in seeing that. Like, it's just, like, businessman Stewie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just didn't care for it. But the movie, we watched it um with a group of our friends. It was really good. It was a really good premise. I'm not going to give it all away but it was nothing like I thought it would be and I absolutely loved it I'm like wow this movie got a bad rep um so check out baby boss it's pretty great I mean Alec Baldwin should have sold you enough he's pretty well I mean he's a little iffy now that I think about it um, but I'll give you the synopsis if you've never seen it. OK, a new baby's arrival impacts a family told from the point of view of a delightfully unreliable narrator, a wildly imaginative seven year old named Tim. And that's the thing. That was the catch. So maybe it's because I didn't read the synopsis and I just went from the trailer. Um, but I didn't know that it would be like the arrival of this new baby from the point of view of a seven-year-old. I was seven-ish when my sister was born. She was born in 97, but I wasn't seven yet. I was still six and a half. A good healthy six. But so I can understand that. But I didn't really feel like, you know, that typical everyone's paying attention to this new kid and not me. And why is this new baby getting more intention than me or like anything like that? If anything, I was more protective of her, I think, than my parents. I, <laughs> I didn't let anybody touch her. She was a big baby, too. My God, she could have probably punched whoever was trying to kidnap her out. Anyway, this isn't about me. Um. So, OK, the most unusual baby boss Alec Baldwin arrives at Tim's home in a taxi, wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase. The instant sibling rivalry must soon be put aside when Tim discovers that Baby Boss is actually a spy on a secret mission and only he can help Thrott thwart? thwart, sorry, Thwart a <laughs> dastardly plot that involves an epic battle between puppies and babies. Like the uh, the movie's pretty great but toby mcguire's the narrator so (laughs) so yeah baby boss check it out um another one is across the universe now i love this film i remember when the trailers and all that first came out for it i wasn't super into it like i didn't understand it looked like one of those weird indie films and i was like maybe a junior or a senior in high school when it came out. And I'm like, I don't know about this yet. I'm still trying to get to watch not another teen movie or something, you know, like I wasn't into the stuff that made me think. Um, <laughs> But I watched this movie with a friend of mine at her house. And I was instantly taken like, the I don't remember the trailer from it I remember one scene vividly from the trailer and it's when they're at the bowling alley and it's like the cosmic bowling so they have like all the lights going and the two main characters um Lucy and Jude are running and like jumping through the bowling alley and I'm like what the hell is this um but it's my The way I describe it is it tells a story of the late 60s, like mid to late 60s, with the music from the Beatles. And I think they use it beautifully. Like, it fits everything. And it really made me think, like, the Beatles were on to something. Like, they weren't around for a long time, and they still really impacted music and culture so much. And I think they depicted that really well in this film it wasn't like a campy we're gonna break into song at any random moment sort of thing like the songs all went with the scenes like they like uh let it be was heartbreaking it was during the 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 riots in Detroit Ooh, and it was like a gospel version of it and again I don't want to give too much of the movie away if you haven't seen it yet I mean not everyone has seen it but I don't think it got enough accolades. It's really good. And apparently it only got a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes I'm looking at now. um, And they also go, uh, they cover the, v- the war in Vietnam. You know the song, I want you, I want you so bad. They use that, but like, you know, the Uncle Sam, I want you poster. And it just shows them like drafting these soldiers. And I'm like, oh my like, you have to see the movie. I'm probably gonna watch it when I'm done recording this. And the she's so heavy during that part, they're like, all of them are carrying the Statue of Liberty on their back. You get it? Like, uh, guys, it's good. Should watch it. Um but their synopsis is across the universe. Um, From director Julie Tamor. Also, I have the two-disc DVD special, so I've seen all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's great. Um, It's a revolutionary rock musical that reimagines America in the turbulent late 60s, a time with battle lines were being drawn at home and abroad. When young dock worker Jude, Jim Sturgis, leaves Liverpool to find his estranged father in America, he is swept up by the waves of change that are reshaping the nation. Jude falls in love with Lucy, who's played by Evan Rachel Wood, a rich but sheltered American girl who joins the growing anti-war movement in New York's Greenwich, Greenwich sorry, Greenwich Village. Um, as the body count in Vietnam rises, political tensions at home spiral out of control and the star-crossed lovers find themselves in a psychedelic world gone mad with a cameo by Bono, who, yeah, I forgot he's in there um and uh joe crocker's in there as well okay with and a cameo by bono across the universe is the kind of movie you watch again like listening to a favorite album says roger ebert from chicago Sun Times, so you know it's legit don't rock don't don't argue with ebert um another movie that i wouldn't okay so the movie crooklyn now this was a film made by uh Spikely, and so really just from that you know a lot of people haven't seen it I mean he makes films for and by black folks not only for I won't say that but you know what I mean and so I feel like Crooklyn is a staple in any black household like everyone has seen this movie if you grew up in a black household And if you didn't and you saw it, then that's even better. Like, it's a really good film. Um, It was made in 1994. And it's, I think it's just Crooklyn, you know, Brooklyn. Um, I'll read you the synopsis. As her teacher mother, Carolyn, who's played by Alfrey Woodard, and her jazz musician father, Woody, who's played by Delroy Lindo, worry over monthly bills, grade schooler, student, Troy Carmichael. She was my favorite. Um, Banters and bonds with her four brothers. Against her will, Troy is sent to her aunt's southern home for a summer visit. And when she returns to her bustling Brooklyn neighborhood, she learns that a family member is gravely ill. Already mature, Troy is focused to face to some very grown-up facts about life and loss. This movie is so good and i i have so many one-liners from it when she goes down south to visit her aunt um troy has like if you look up the movie you'll see the characters um her mom braids her hair and puts beads in it like but they're like really cool design cornrows and like those shell beads and things and her aunt um wants to press her hair like press her hair out so when and, and by that I mean straighten it with like a hot comb if you're not sure what a pressing comb is um and she also um meets her cousin Viola and Viola I think might be adopted maybe because she starts getting smart and stuff um when um Troy's around because she's like oh I got my cool cousin Troy here from Brooklyn. I don't got to listen to my mama. And whenever Aunt Song, that was her name, uh, said anything to Viola, like they were very country, very Southern, very Christian household. So she was watching like this Christian Saturday morning show where they sang the song. One, two, three, the devil's after me. Four, five, six, he's always throwing six. Anyway, um... She comes in, tries to tell her something. And then she's like, I ain't got to listen to her. She ain't my real mama anyway. And I'm like, oh, Viola. And anyway, back to the pressing hair part. Troy gets her hair straightened by her aunt's song. And she's like, I just couldn't have you here with all those beads and braids and shells and things. It's my favorite thing to say. Um, And <laughs> um, of course, Spike Lee makes a cameo in it. He plays one of the uh, drug dealers. I don't know if he's a drug dealer or just a druggie. He sniffs glue a lot. Um, And he only, his partner only has one arm. It's pretty cool. Um, What else happens? Like, it's just, it's a nice coming of age film. And I, of course, love the music and everything about it because it's based in the 70s. Um, It's just, check it out. I don't know if I did a good job describing it, but you need to watch it. If you know me and you haven't seen it yet, we're watching it the next time I see you. Like when we first started dating, I made Dante watch this immediately and he loved it. So he passed a test. We're good. We're fine. Because if he didn't, I don't know if he'd be here today, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really good. Um, what are some other underrated films? Now, okay, I don't know if anyone else likes this movie, but this, okay, so this pulled at my heartstrings at the tender age of six, but there's this animated film called The Pebble and the Penguin, and I don't know how many people have seen it. I mean, it came out in 95. I had it on VHS. Um, It's a Dom Bluth film. And I just want to say that Barry Manilow was one of the uh, composers. He did the music, some of the music for the film. So that should be enough right there. Like, I knew it. Like, (laughs) there, it's a really sweet film. And I just recently learned Don Bluth used to work at uh, Disney. So that makes sense if you've seen his movies like they're Disney is Disney ish. I mean, okay. so anyway. Oh, look, it's it got an 85 percent on Google, but only 11 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Okay, so in this animated tale set in the South Pole, bashful, awkward penguin Hubie, played by Martin Short, pines for the beautiful marina. But the bullying Drake, who's played by Tim Curry, also has an eye on her. When Hubie finds an impressive pebble to present to Marina, Drake causes Hubie to get caught in a fishing net and sent off far from his native beach. With the help of his energetic new friend Rocco, played by James Belushi, or Jim Belushi, if you want to, Hubie sets off on a treacherous trip back home to win the heart of his beloved like this movie's so freaking cute like you know how happy feet they have their heart songs and you have to sing your heart song to whomever this was old school it's like let me just find you a pebble girl and hopefully you'll take this now and forever i'll show her i care that's the opening song you should guys just give it a look it might be hard to get through as an adult But from the ages of like 6 to maybe 14, I watched it and cried a lot. When I was little, I equated like wanting to cry over watching or hearing something as me being sad when I was just really getting emotional, like happy, like overwhelmed. (laughs) But I thought, but I want to cry, so I must be sad. So I thought this movie made me sad. I thought made well, Fievel really did make me sad, but then happy again is another underrated film oh my gosh um I thought the movie Gordy who I think (laughs) Babe is I'll put that in the underrated films Babe is the more popular talking pig film but let me tell you something Gordy is better than Babe I said it I'm not taking it back Gordy was also made in 95 what a great year for film (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for children's television and film now see all the movies i like it got a 26 percent on rotten tomatoes guys but check this out gordy is a talking piglet and he lives a carefree life on an arkansas farm until the rest of his family is taken away and i remember the scene he was chasing after the truck and his mom was like gordy oh anyway Hitting the road to find his kinfolk before it's too late, Gordy meets up with struggling young country singer Jenny Sue. She had a great song, by the way. Hearts on the line, picking at the pigtails, and da- your hearts on the line. Anyway, um, and her father, Luke, I don't know any of these actors. The girl who played Jenny Sue, her name's Christy Young, and the father was played by Doug Stone. I don't know who that is but then he also encounters a father and a daughter squabbling over control of their family business which includes the nebraska slaughterhouse that gordy's parents and siblings are bound for so i mean guys things get crazy like gordy becomes famous and gets all these uh like, endorsements and commercials and things because he finds, like, a rich family. Ah, uh, it's so good. It's nice and heartwarming. I'm not even kidding. Under similar movies, all the babe films are here in Charlotte's Web. I never knew how many movies about penguins, not penguins, pigs there were. Anyway, that's another underrated film. These were, okay, the last couple were, like, kids' movies, but I haven't seen anything... In my adult years that I feel is underrated. I was going to say Dazed and Confused. But everyone loves that movie. I don't think it's underrated. I think some people would say it's overrated at this point. Um, trying to find a more recent movie that might be underrated. Meh, can't think of one. But uh, that's my short list of underrated films. Um, Let's go to the next topic. Okay, the next one I picked was Gospel and Classical Music. And I wrote that one. Um, So, quick story. So, I um have been in a little bit of a... Well, I was in a little bit of, like, a musical depression. Where I just didn't get as much out of playing and singing or even composing music for a while. Like, if you followed my music page... The last full thing I posted was like maybe December or January (laughs) yeah January actually of this year and I just didn't I don't know I just I'm like I'm not feeling it and I think what it was um, was that I was just one overworked and just overwhelmed in general with everything else with life. Um, but two, I think I just needed to get back to my roots in music. And I started in music with gospel, really, singing with our choir when I was like three years old, hearing my mom sing gospel. My grandfather on my mom's side, he's in gospel. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side, the pastor of our church. So I just grew up listening and knowing and singing gospel music. Um, and the other was classical or concert music. Um, and here in L.A., there's a lot of it, but I wasn't exposed to a lot of it. And this is, I mean, I do love popular music, as we know. I love r and B. I I love soul. I love pop. I love rock. I love it all, except country. Um, <laughs> newer country, old country like Patsy Cline and all them Hank Williams like the ha ah, what a beautiful dream like those that I can get with or uh or Patsy's crazy crazy for feeling so no and even Dolly like I can go on with that and Shania although she's like pop country Shania Twain I think maybe she's my Taylor Swift no I'm not gonna put her in the same thing as Taylor Swift that's not even true I take that back that was blasphemous I'm sorry Anyway, um I yeah, gospel and classical and I guess, you know, R&B soul were my roots in music. And I hadn't had any of that in quite some time. Like my students, bless their hearts, are more into popular music, and that's fine. And I do teach them classics, um but again, they want to learn how to play this pop music. And I'm not faulting them for me being in my musical funk. It wasn't their fault. But I think I just wasn't, you know, properly exposed to it. So I recently, and by recently, I mean like a couple weeks ago, um, saw a posting for, uh, they needed people for a choir to sing Mahler's Second Symphony, which is the Resurrection Symphony. And I'm like, okay, I'll take a go at it. I'll do it. And mind you, I hadn't sang in a classical setting or a concert setting like that in three, four years, maybe longer. And I was like, is my voice e- even ready? And I went to that first rehearsal. Let me tell you, my voice was not ready. I kicked my voice's butt. Like, I came back, my sinuses were all messed up. I'm like, what did I do? I mean, having me hit a high A, that's above the staff that's in the ledger lines I'm like I signed up to be an alto I wanted the easy way out pitch speaking I mean we got to keep the harmony going as altos but he was like I oh, will put you in soprano too and soprano too turned out to have this high a but then we just split off to the g on the next you know <laughs> I'm like whatever that's fine I'll take it um but I didn't realize how much I missed being in that environment, um, just with the choir rehearsals alone, like the warm ups are a little bit different, um, the environment's way different. And I made a joke some choir kids just never grow out of it. Like, we had in that soprano section, I loved singing with them, they're all amazing vocalists, but there was just so much cattiness sometimes, <laughs> like, guys. You're a grown woman. Stop it. Like, please. The altos were way more chill. That's how it always is. I wanted to go over to the altos so bad. And some of the altos, I think they knew inherently because I we were walking around introducing ourselves. They're like, you're an alto, right? And I'm like, oh, normally, yes. But he put me in Soprano, too. And they're like, oh, no, you should just come join altos. And I'm like, you know, I would. But I'm doing as I'm told. Like, uh, anyway, um, I just I felt. I don't know, more fulfilled from it. I just, I was getting overwhelmed. I was getting emotional. (laughs) Um, And then once we practiced with the orchestra, that just took me all the way out. Like, I legitimately had to stop singing at one point because I was like starting to cry. This, guys, if you haven't listened to it, it's a long piece, but it's beautiful. Mahler's Second Symphony It's his Resurrection Symphony. It is amazing from beginning to end. So much emotion and half of it isn't even sung like the first couple movements it's just the orchestra the last movement the fifth movement is where I think all the vocals are and that's where we sang Uh, but we heard the first two um and it was it was just phenomenal they did an amazing job that orchestra um and that also made me work up the courage to ask about joining eventually uh, their percussion section and I'm going to be starting to um, even though I give percussion lessons I need to keep my game up you know Um, so I'm going to start taking percussion lessons again uh, build my chops back up not every week or so maybe once a month just to get me you know have somebody else take a look at what I'm doing besides myself you know Um, and we had a concert Sunday night and it was beautiful like we sang the last bit of it we sang the Mahler piece and then we also sang lift every voice and sing which I'll get into in a little bit um but the beginning of this concert uh was mostly gospel like spirituals um because the theme of it was the resurrection and the resolution and it was honoring MLK oh sorry I take that back, Revolution slash Resurrection, Um, an American retrospective. And it still was honoring MLK. Um, And the Southeast Symphony, if you're not familiar with them, they are phenomenal. This was their 70th season um, finale. Um, And the way they came to be, when I read up on them, back when uh, Black folks weren't allowed in white orchestras or symphonies. We had to start our own. Um, And now it is one of the most diverse orchestras there are. Um, I'll read a little bit of it. Uh, During spring 1948, a small group of Southeast Los Angeles music teachers led by Mabel Massengill Gunn founded the Southeast Symphony in a time when U.S. symphony orchestras barred Black musicians from their ranks, Mabel and her colleagues established an institution where, given access, Black musicians could thrive through musical instruction and performance. Um, and again, it's crazy to believe. 1948, that was just 10 years before my mom was born, and we weren't allowed in symphony orchestras. What? What? And mind you, there, by this time, there were a, a good number of black composers and musicians. It's insane. And listen to this statistic they have in there. And this woman who was sitting next to me in the choir um, said she was, like, stunned by that, um, by this that I'm about to read now. While African-American, Latino, and other ethnically diverse musicians are no longer barred from participating in major U.S. symphonies, they remain severely underrepresented, accounting for less than 3% of U.S. symphony orchestra personnel. Yep, I can attest to that. It's very true. I grew up, I didn't think I couldn't play it, but I knew that it was rare for someone who looked like me to be in a classical setting like that. Like, people saw me in choir and expected me to sing with this big, brassy gospel voice which I could, but when I started to sing classical repertoire, they're like, Oh, look how cultured she is, you know? And it shouldn't be like that. Like it's, we're not exposed to it as a people as much as I think we should be. And this goes into a different thing that went on at this concert, the rehearsal for the concert. Um, at the end, the orchestra, the choir and the audience, Um, Were to participate in singing the song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, which some of you may know as the Black or African American National Anthem, so to speak. And the piece just is historical, one, and it just represents everything we as a people have been through and how we are still rising out of it and coming out of it stronger and better than ever. And we're going to keep going. We're going to keep moving and thriving. And I don't expect a lot of people who aren't black to know it. Um, but what I heard yesterday, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to get into too much detail. But what, okay, so yesterday was very emotional for me. It was Sunday. Um, because it was the first time I had performed in that setting in a while. And I was like a little nervous, but also very excited. And this piece again was so beautiful. And I'm like, we are going to do amazing um and while we were practicing lift every voice and sing they gave us the music i think at the dress rehearsal the night before not even the music just the lyrics but i mean whatever i know it i've known this song since i was born we sang it every year for black history month at our church i sang it at school even and i went to a primarily hispanic like elementary school now that i think about it like and i remember singing it in kindergarten First grade as well, in first grade, I went to a Catholic school, so I'm like, to me, it was just weird to hear like I don't know this song at all. I even sang it in middle school, which again was prim- primarily Hispanic and white, and when we sang it in middle school, I remember this. It was me and another girl. They wanted me to do it, and they wanted um the other girl to do it because she was white to show you know we're in this together, which was beautiful um so I'm like people know this song you know and I wasn't mad that a lot of people didn't it was just the attitude they were taking one there were a lot of negative Nellies there they were complaining about the space and the time and traffic and this and that and I'm like guys we're in this beautiful hall with this amazing orchestra about to perform this amazing piece how privileged are we right now like be grateful you know and it was just now the people who were complaining about said song were not black They weren't they weren't people of color, I will say, Um, and they were a bit older. Now, I am not one to raise a ruckus, but yesterday I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. And like during the rehearsal, I just like quietly said, like, you know, I'm like, it's an easy song. You don't really need music. The orchestra is going to play it first anyway, and you'll hear the melody. The words fit right in. It's very simple. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Da, da 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 You know, it's very easy. You hear it once, you can pick it up. And plus, these are professional musicians. You can do this. I mean, we got this Mahler piece in German. We're singing in German. We got this maybe a smooth three weeks ago, but you're complaining about singing this song that has like made like you cover a scale I wanna say we don't go really any higher than that, like but okay, whatever anyway um <sighs> so when we were leaving out from the uh sound check or whatever. They didn't know I was behind them, but it was a group of four or five older um, white folks. And one old older man like yelled out like he was pissed. He's like, you know, you only know this song if you're black. And I'm like, excuse me. And they're all agreeing with them. And again, they don't know I'm behind them. So this is so out of character for me. Like, if you know me personally, I don't think I'm anywhere near as energetic as I am on this show. But (laughs) I keep it quiet. Like, I don't really start much of anything, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I got super offended. And like, I yelled out and I'm like, whether you're black or not, you should have at least heard of this song, says the black girl. And they all turned around and looked at me like, oh, fuck. And then they turned back around super quick and like hurried away Um, but one woman was like, oh, I still don't know the song. And I'm like, I'm not going to argue. Like, I don't care that you don't know the song. It was just the way he said it. You know, I'm like, what do you mean you only know this song if you're black? One, that's not true. Two, the song is not hard. You're a professional musician. Quit whining and learn it. It's a song about unity. It's a song about coming together, not just black people. Like, I, someone um, in our choir went up to, because I wanted to do this, too. Um, and I'm glad he did this he came up when we were downstairs in rehearsal room and explained to them what the song means and he's like you know and not just for black people whether you're Korean Jewish Indian whatever the song's for you like everyone's been through something and this song is about rising above it and coming together as one to you know thrive and it's true It is, but I, again, I just found it so disrespectful as a black woman, like you're just tossing this aside, like it means nothing and it's just so trivial, like this is my history, this is, these are my family's stories. This orchestra that we're singing in was founded 70 years ago because they didn't want my kind singing or playing with them, you know what I mean? So I'm like, this is very disrespectful. Um, if you don't know the words to lift every voice and sing, oh, the first verse is to lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listing skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Then you go into like a little lower part. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us facing the rising sun of our new day begun let us march on till victory is won that verse alone the older i get the more emotional i get whenever i hear it or sing it like and if you were at this concert like to hear this audience like the place was packed and again it's a 250 piece choir 150 piece orchestra And then there was a gospel choir as well. And just to hear everyone singing like the beginning, you had soloists sing each verse. The gospel choir sang a verse. The orchestra played like a little prelude. And then everyone joined in. And it was just beautiful, like an amazing roaring. Ugh, I'm getting emotional talking about it now. But I just the song just means a lot to me. And I know I sound super cheesy whenever I bring it up. But I'm like, this is this. ugh. It's it was great. I'm going to try to see if there's a video on YouTube and maybe post it a little later. It was just a beautiful moving moment. Um, and this was after um, the orchestra presented an award to a woman who's been like on the board of trustees with this uh, orchestra f- for like. I think all 70 years, <laughs> she's 90 years old, she's been with this orchestra, she was 20 and this woman was moving like she was like 50, 60 years old. Uh, amazing. And she has seen a lot of change and a lot of the same shit, you know. And when we sang this after we presented her with this award, I'm like, oh, my God. Um, But yeah, that's just one of the verses. The rest goes on and it's really deep. Like, I mean, one of the verses says, uh. We have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered, out from the gloomy path till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. So again like all these verses tell you like look, we've been through some shit. But you know what? That's not going to stop us. We're going to keep moving forward. And I think like again it can be for any culture, but I'm just speaking for myself. I feel like that is just black in America's motto we're gonna keep going we're gonna keep pushing you can't stop me um and I know I got kind of off topic there but um all of that was to say I'm glad I got back to classical and gospel again and hearing those gospel singers last night I had to stop them UCLA's um gospel choir there's something special I went over to speak with them afterwards. I'm like, you guys bless my entire soul tonight. They <laughs> they were amazing. And one of the girls was up there shouting. I'm like, she was my same energy. Like, I wanted to stand up, wave my hands and stuff at one of the soloists up there. But I'm like, I'm up here with the choir. I have to be solemn. I'm not with the gospel choir. I'm with the orchestra. So I can't get too rowdy. <laughs> but... <laughs> Oh, it was such a great night. And I'm just so grateful that they let me be a part of this without even, you know, hearing me first. I emailed the director, told him about myself and he told me to come on down. And yeah, now I'm part of this amazing group. And I'm just I just feel so fortunate. And I'm just really glad I'm getting back into it and pushing myself to do more with my music again. Just because, you know, I've missed it. I really have. And I've started to work on more. uh of my own compositions again it just feels really good it's a slow start but you know it's better than what I was doing even a month ago (laughs) like I just posted a video on Instagram and it took me like an hour and a half to do it because I was criticizing it saying that's not good that's not off I had literally had like 13 different videos (laughs) that I chose from singing the same song like which one which one out of these 13 are better but I'm just trying to slowly get back into it. Um, but gospel and classical is what started it all for me. And I just, I'm so glad I got to experience that last night and I hope I can keep it going. Um, all right. Okay. So I'm going to do a few more. We're heading to about an hour here. I don't want to go too much longer and just drone on and on in your ears. Um, so I'm going to do the other comment that someone commented on. Um, friend jason of course commented with muse now we could take this one of two ways because he now i know which muse he was talking about if you know this jason then you also know what muse he's talking about <laughs> but i'm like should i be petty and be like oh muse you know in greek or roman mythology you know nine goddesses daughter of zeus and you know all of that or a person Who's like inspiration to someone else, you know? We are the muses. You know, from Hercules? Honey, you mean Hercules. Anyway, um, I could do a whole episode on the muses from Hercules. Not like the actual ones, but the ones, you know, back when the world was new. And then along came Zeus. He hurled his thunderbolt and brum, 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 Alan Menken composed that. Alan Menken. He should write a gospel album. He composed that whole doggone movie, Hercules and Little Shop of Forest. This isn't about him. This is about Muse, the band, the rock band. He is obsessed with Muse. I want to say, if you're listening, I'm going to apologize again. I saw Matt Bellamy come into my place of work. And I was like, oh, my God, Jason's got to get down here. But he couldn't. But I'm also at work, so I can't be like, can I get your autograph? You know, (laughs) I was like, I want to be a good friend, but I don't want to be fired either. You know, so I'm sorry I couldn't get you that. But I know he's met him once or twice. Good for him. I haven't met any of. (gasps) Oh, my God, I shut myself up. I was going to say I haven't met any of my musical idols slash icons, but I met Miss Janelle Monae and Stevie. So just shut up right there. Um, But if you're not familiar with the band Muse, they're an English rock band uh, and they formed in 94, apparently. Like, I don't know much about Muse. I'm not going to pretend I do. I did not know they were around in 94, Um, but I know a Muse song when I hear it now because it has like that. Muse sound to it, the, you know, I'm sure that's a Muse song. I don't know which one, but they kind of sound like that to me. I think that man has a really great voice, a really unique voice. I will say my first, uh, you know, Dante knew about me. I think he went to a concert, actually. Here, here, you could explain that a little better. But the first time I heard of Muse... I'm ashamed to say this, who was when a, uh, <laughs> some may call it an underrated film came out, Twilight. Now, I want to start by saying I read Stephanie Meyer's books when I was a teen and thought, wow, this is crazy. And then I went back and read them. I was like, why did I do this? Why? What were you thinking, girl? And I watched all of those movies after the first one though I was more or less just giving them my money so I could sit in the theater and laugh at it with my sister like me and Ari literally went to the movies to see Twilight and make fun of it the whole time and I think back and I'm like we could have saved our $10 and just waited for the DVD or something or for like to stream it on YouTube but anywho um I first heard of them from Twilight because Twilight used their song Supermassive Black Hole that one where they go ooh set said my something my. i don't know the words then something da, 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 and it's super sun up and it's super massive that one it's when they were uh, playing baseball <laughs> cuz they could only play baseball in a thunderstorm because of how loud it is because they're powerful vampires. And my question is, thinking back to that scene, why did they not break the bat since they were so powerful? Like, why didn't the the bat break? Did they have their own special bats made of some sort of, like, crazy strong wood? Or were they using those aluminum bats? I don't remember. But yeah, they played baseball during thunderstorms because no one could hear... (laughs) It was such a bad film, guys. <laughs> like when they hit the ball, they coincidentally thunder would crack. Like, do they have super senses where they know when the thunder's coming to? Maybe, because they're vampires. Um, but yeah, that's when they played Supermassive Black Hole. And I was like, Wow, I really like this song. Um, but I gotta be honest, that's the only Muse song I know. The most Muse I listen to is when I'm around Jason and I don't hate any of it. It's pretty good. I just haven't listened to it on my own ever. And (laughs) maybe I'll do that today. Maybe I will challenge myself to listen to some Muse because they're pretty popular. I mean, they've been around since 94. So, wowee. Um, Apparently, their musical style, according to Wikipedia, is described as an alternative rock, space rock, and progressive rock band. What? What? is space rock. Let's go there, Wikipedia. Space... Oh, it also redirects you to space metal. Space metal. But space rock, if you're ignorant to this, um, is a rock music genre characterized by loose and lengthy strong song structures centered on instrumental textures that typically produce a hypnotic, otherworldly sound. Hmm. Hmm. Could the Jetsons theme song be space rock? Meet George Jetson, because they have some really cool synthesizers in there, like the, you know, space rock. Jetsons, they're in space. Um. Oh, also they have a. Uh, in here, Muse mix sounds from genres such as electronic music, progressive metal art rock and forms such as classical music mm -hmm, rock opera and many others um but bellamy described muse as a trashy (laughs) three-piece in an interview that's funny it's nice when you know bands have a sense of humor about themselves um but yeah oh see they're talking about matt bellamy's vocals here they're saying many of his music songs are recognizable by Bellamy's use of vibrato falsetto and melismatic phrasing, which is true. He stay up there in those Raptors. Good for him. Good for him. And they say it's inspired by Jeff Buckley. He's also a pianist. And according to Wikipedia, he often uses arpeggios and can I, that's not anything fancy, not trashing him and his p- piano skills, but arpeggios are just chords that are broken up guys. It's, whoever wrote this Wikipedia page, you reached, you reached real far. Um, but this, I have to agree with. Bellamy's compositions often suggest or quote late classical and romantic era composers, such as Rachmaninoff. And, Ooh, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Camille Saint Sainz and Chopin or Chopin. Um, yeah yeah and they're back to these arpeggios apparently he uses a lot of arpeggiators and pitch shift effects um citing Jimi hendrix apparently i mean why can't he just be doing his own thing i want to know if bellamy actually said this about his musicianship or if someone's just assuming that he's being influenced by these people because i'm not saying that he's not but more than Jimi hendrix has used an arpeggiator or a pitch shift pedal you know and yeah but yeah Muse they're cool uh they've got they got some hits I unfortunately don't know a lot of them but again when I hear them I don't shut the radio off they're pretty good I just need to get I don't know maybe I'll listen to some Muse today just get more in tune with them um but that's my uh Muse topic um the last one I'm gonna do I picked from the hat or, I'm sorry, not the hat, the shoebox. <laughs> Amount of media opposed to what our parents had. Now, this is insane because <laughs> I, I even think back to like the 90s. I didn't have nearly as much access to anything as I do now. Like, I mean, I guess you did with the library, you had public records and all that. But I was just saying the other day, like, I wish I could because I was watching Frasier. And, um, Roz dug up some dirt on this one girl, but I mean, internet wasn't crazy, crazy back then. Like she found records from libraries and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, guys, I, you know, I'm like a low key creeper. Like I'll find something if I need it. And I'm like, I wish I could like go back and try out my skills back then. where it's like, you can't rely on the internet. You got to do it all by hand. Got to go looking for yourself. Like, I feel like I would still be just as good, but you know, Um, but the amount of media we have now, and I was just talking to a friend about this. It is insane. Like, that's why I think Vines and all these like little 15 second videos, like how Instagram used to be, are becoming a thing now. Like, we just have shorter and shorter attention spans, too, with the amount of media we have. Like, it's got to be something that'll catch your attention. Like, you're probably not even still listening to this. 70 minutes in i don't know if i've kept your attention within those first 15 seconds <laughs> you know like you got to be able to catch someone's attention or ear quickly and keep it and past the minute they're out i'll be first to admit if i see something i'm like this video is 10 minutes long i can't be a part of it i can't. um But it's insane. Like we get new pieces of information every like 20 seconds. Like you go on Huffington Post's uh, Facebook page, like every hour there's a new post or new article. And I'm like, y'all, can we slow down? Like, where's the anticipation? Like maybe these places like these media outlets challenge themselves to post something like once a week and just leave people hanging like wanting more like post an article then be like all right see you next week you know I feel like people would get more that way I mean I guess you have that with YouTubers but even those YouTubers will post things in between because I've seen it firsthand some people get like violent (laughs) they get upset if they don't get like an update like you not me but Sue, so some YouTuber like you posted this video last week and now I haven't seen anything on your Instagram or your Facebook. And it's like, OK, they have lives. Let them live, you know, like people are expecting too much media all the time. Like there always has to be something for them to watch or listen to or meddle in, you know. Whereas our parents, like that's why they had so much free time to discover shit and do things with their lives because they didn't have all these distractions in the palm of their hand. If they were sitting at a train station, they had to talk to people around them or read the newspaper, which I guess you could do on your phone, but more often than not, you know you're just scrolling through a Facebook timeline or going through Buzzfeed, which I guess is informational or going through Instagram or burying yourself, trying to not speak to people. And I think that's why we have so many socially awkward people now. No one knows how to talk to anybody anymore because we have too much media. (laughs) I don't know if that's the reason. Is texting media? Because if so, like, I'll text half of the people, uh, half the parents that I have to, uh, when I need to get in touch with them. Like, sometimes I'll call and I'll be like, you know what, just text instead. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm a very socially awkward person. And I wasn't always that way, I think. And I don't think it had anything to do with texting or anything. I think it's because I was very annoying as a child. (laughs) Like, I vividly remember both of my parents telling me, like, you need to calm down or no one will like you. Like, you are going to be pestering everybody. Just take a seat please. I was too excited to socialize with people. And now I'm not excited at all to socialize with anybody. <laughs> See, I just, after age 10, I'm like, this isn't for me anymore. I got to stop. Um, yeah, there's just too much. Like when I, I mentioned this when I was watching Selma, they mentioned, you know, we have to do these marches because the newspapers will be there. They'll take pictures. They'll get interviews. And that's how we'll get the word out. Whereas now you post something, two seconds later, you use the right hashtags it's seen by like thousands of people. You know what I mean? It's way different. We know way too much. And all of it is not even true. <laughs> you know? We know way too much about nothing is what I'll say. And I'm guilty of it. I'm not saying I'm above it, but there's just too much information out there now. and and I don't know I think we should I've been challenging myself not to post so much on Facebook or any other social media sites not because I'm trying to be that guy where I'm like oh I just want to be different and unplugged I don't have a Facebook I'm too good for that no I like it I do but I also think we need to slow down on it like when I first got it I could only use it on my computer. And so I only updated it like when I was done with my homework or when I came home from school. And that was that. Now I have it in the palm of my hand and I'm guilty of it. And if you follow me, you know, if I see something interesting, I'm going to post about it. If I have to rant, I'm going to post about it. If something stupid happened, I'm going to post about it. I said something funny. I'm posting about it. Dante said something funny. My mom said something funny via text message. You all need to see it. And then I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to stop. I feel like... (laughs) Who cares, right? Who cares about my fucking life? So I, at first I took Facebook off of my phone, but then i started the podcast and I'm like, I'm tired of just going on my computer to try to upload this and edit everything. And so I put it back on my phone, but I turned the notifications off so I don't get notified when someone comments or any of that stuff. So if I'm late to the game, that's why guys. Um, So when I open it, is when I see it. And I didn't, I put it on like the last page. If you have an iPhone when you're scrolling through, I put it on the last page so I don't see it right when I unlock the phone. So that helps me a little bit. Plus, uh, with the amount of negative things that I see on the internet, anytime I log on, I really had to log off for my mental health. I'm like, this is too much. And I think people including these news uh websites are really banking off Trump and his administration. Like there's always something new. And I'm not saying what they're doing is okay with their administration, but I don't want to hear about it every fucking day. You know? Like I I'm not saying he doesn't completely deserve it, but I just feel like they're attacking him everything he does. They're attacking him. And Granted, it's stupid shit he's doing, but I'm like, we need to, can we just stop? At least that's what I see. Now, on the other end, if you're a Trump supporter, maybe they see it as how I did when I saw them trashing Obama for just simple everyday things that I thought were fine. I guess it's all in the eye of the beholder, but some things we all think we can all agree on just are just stupid. He needs to be stopped. But I also don't want to see or hear about it every fucking day. But I also want to be informed. You know what I mean? So it's like, where's the line? I don't know. Um, Yeah. And I think people were happier back then, too, just because it's like ignorance is bliss. They didn't know about all the fucked up shit in the world because it wasn't made readily available to them all the time. You had to really search and dig and find it. And you had, like, if you watch Mad Men, you <laughs> I have five times. Um, you see it through there. Like, things were not great in the 60s, but these advertisers had to make you think everything's fine. Buy this glow coat to clean your home, <laughs> you know? And they even touched on it, like, whenever uh, Peggy, especially, Whenever she hung out with like the younger crowd or people around her age, they would bring up how everything is going to hell and her industry isn't making it any better. They're just ignoring it. And when they had this disaster, I remember when um, a plane like crashed into the ocean, tons of people died. The first thing most of them thought of was like, oh, fuck, we got to pull that American Airlines ad. I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, like there was like a separation and like we need to turn this around. We need to flip it. Things like that. So it's like it's been going on for a while. But again, it wasn't made readily available to everyone. People didn't let their kids watch the news. And I keep using Mad Men because I feel like that's my only. Like it wasn't made in the 60s, obviously, but they really keep it true and authentic. Like whenever a disaster happened, there were a lot in the 60s, like those assassinations and like the church bombing, they didn't let the kids listen to the radio um, or watch the TV, even though they had questions. They would ask these real questions and they would just like, just go to bed or go eat your dinner. You know, like now I think and I think this is good. People talk to their kids and tell them like this is what's happening. This is what it means. And this is how you can, you know, help. Um, but yeah, that's my opinion on that. Um, so we're just going to wrap things up here, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you stuck around, um, if you didn't, that's cool, too. Whatever you clicked it, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> um, I'll see you guys next time. Uh, don't forget to like Bree and Friends on Instagram and uh, follow me on Twitter at Bree and Friends. I think on both Instagram and Twitter, it's Bree in Friends friends because you can't use ampersands for some reason um but on facebook you can find me at brie and friends b-r-i ampersand friends um give me a follow on there as well i uh, post fun little updates on there or give previews on what the episodes are gonna be um yeah this was a lot of fun thanks again guys i know i've said thank you like five times but i really am grateful (laughs) all right I'll see you guys next time. Have a great time. What? Have a great day. (laughs) Bye-bye.